Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good morning. And happy... Um, Thursday. Sorry. I'm eating. Happy, happy Canadian Thanksgiving to everybody out there yeah. in Canada. Yeah, I I said, I said, uh, I said on Twitter that I was jealous of all my Canadian followers since they get to eat turkey and stuffing six weeks before I do. And then I suggested all I needed to really do is marry a Canadian girl, and then I get two turkey days for the price of one. That's what you got to do. You're close enough. You can you can work that out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, right across the border, there, man. You got mm -hmm. you can you can definitely work it out. I know. I have a friend who um is uh, a good friend who's up in Canada. For the, and lives down here, and just you know, he's Canadian, but he married an American, so yeah, so it's it's all, yeah, you know, that that that's the way to do it. Then you get the two Thanksgivings, you know. This this is it's funny. It, it's, it always it always kind of cracks me up that there's it's Canadian. The Canadian Thanksgiving is so early. Um, I know it, it it's weird. It, so, it makes total sense though for their for their weather. I guess I guess this is this is when you can have more fun more more fun up there in the out in the outdoors. Then you can at the end of November, where it's pretty much just ridiculously cold, right? So, Russ, uh, pre-show? Yeah, pre-show. Um, just got done watching the um, documentary they did on Tom Seaver. Fox did it. Mm. Did a really nice job. Uh, Ed Burns was the uh, the narrator. I think he owns a documentary company, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he's a Met fan. He did a great job. It it brings me back to, and of course, like I get choked up because like that's the guy who I first idolized in sports. And But it made me think, you know, Back when he came in, he was like the hot prospect. And I was like four or five years old when they won the series. I, I stuck with him my whole life. And and it made me think it's probably a big reason why I like covering prospects as much as I do, because I saw him totally succeed from the start to finish, right? And so, you know, I thought I'd ask you guys, you know, who is that player for you guys? But it was it was amazing because I got him I saw him win a championship with my favorite team. I saw him win a 300 game at Yankee Stadium and a lot of stuff in between yeah. and a lot of games. So there's a lot of memories tied into just that one player. Really interesting question because there's 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 different things there. There's the the first guy I think that you're kind of you're kind of saying the first guy you recognized even before he was like a pro that he was going to be good and then you saw him be good. Kind of like right? Is that what you're saying? Sir? No, I'm, I'm just saying no because I, I was too young for that. But I'm yeah. just saying the first guy you recognized when he came on the scene even though he maybe never played a game where you said, you know what, this guy's got the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I got that. that. That's definitely for me. That's um, I mean, probably Pelly Lindbergh, I would say, you know, definitely, definitely the guy for that, you know, just being that that was, he was the, he, and it was kind of, I mean, I grew up as a, Bernie Perrant was definitely a, a, a guy for me as a kid and no question yeah. about it, but I was really young for Bernie Perrant, but, and you know, Pelly Lindbergh was, I was about 12. When he came in and and i was i was 12 what during and i got this is he was the first guy i saw you know play in the olympics against the u.s olympic team on sweden and then them say on television that, that guy was a flyers draft pick that was the first right. one wow you know like I, I never really knew who the flyers draft picks were going to be or anything that at 12. yeah yeah so i'm like that's so when so when pelly came to town i uh i i just i i fell in love with him watching him in the olympics and then i watched and i had a, like a Lindbergh shirt before camp even opened like i was like the uh 
the crazy like kid, you know, like that, that, you know, the, the number 79 Carter Hart kid, like I was that for Pelly Limerick. Right. I came up to him and he was, I was the first person he ever saw with a Jersey and all that stuff. And he was just like, you know, blown away. And it was, that was, that was just a lot of, it really just, it, yeah, it hits you when yeah, you know, Limerick, the Limerick passing and all that stuff. But it's really just like one of these things that, yeah, it's really yeah, kind of fun. A documentary to, on it. You probably get a, you know, a little teary eye at a time. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no two ways about it. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot never of emotion. Happens. There's a lot of emotions tied into it. Well, yeah. I mean, it, Meltzer wrote a great book on Pelly Lindberg and that, that yeah, I did. definitely, that, um, that, that book gets me all the time. So, yeah. Well, the, the guy for me, and the thing is, it's like when I was, you know, really younger, um, there really were no like rookies for say the Sabres or, or the Leafs. They were established clubs at that point. I, I would have to say, and it's always weird for that when your idol is basically the same age as you are, mm-hmm. but, but Wendell Clark, Mm-hmm. That for the for the Leafs, and he played a game that I just loved. A rough and tumble. I mean, the guy was 5'10", 5'11", 190 pounds. Took on all comers and was a you know had an unbelievable wrist shot. Uh, was so you know converted defenseman into a forward. I mean, I think still in Toronto is idolized and you know number one pick in the '85 draft. And if it wasn't for injuries. And I, you know, again, you never, you can never know, but based on the pace that he put in the first yeah. few years, and then he scored goals when the Leafs were good in 93 and 94. I mean, if he had not had those debilitating back injuries, I think he was, the, he would have been a borderline hall of famer, but the injuries were there and you could never really project that on. But he, but from the very beginning, I loved the way he played. Uh, he, he was a leader on that team. You know, fans loved him. They were heartbroken when he was traded in '94, and then then they brought him back a couple years later. Um, it was great, but it wasn't the same. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's the he's the guy for me. It's funny you share that with um. You probably would never have known this, and uh, I never really thought about this before either. But um, one of my best buddies growing up, who's our Minnesota Wild blogger, um, Dan Wallace, is um. He was number seventeen growing up as a hockey player, and it's because his favorite player too is Wendell Clark. There you um, go. And you know, he, even though he's a diehard Flyers fan, like completely Flyers all the way, um, he, uh, yeah, Wendell Clark was his guy. He just, he just liked the way. He yeah, there's something about just you. You see an athlete, you like the way he carries himself. Yeah. Maybe you know he's not. You know, I don't know. Some people like the the, the braggy, docious kind of athletes like Reggie Jackson. I go for the more humble guys, and I think Seaver was somewhere in between, and Wendell Clark definitely was somewhere in between, and. Yeah. Yeah, you latch onto these guys, and and it is amazing the lengths you go to follow them. I, I was telling my wife a story where pre-internet, you had to go to like Ticketron to get tickets, and I would just map out every every yeah. fifth day, and I'd say, well, this is when Seaver's fourth day back then. Yeah, this is when Seaver's going to go, and I say, Dad, any of these games were fine to get tickets for, <laughs> like not even thinking he might get an injury, and he never really had an injury until like 10, 15 years into his career. Like it's just it's funny. Yeah, about with Pop Sonsiever, it's just kind of funny, is that um, I had a baseball card game, and I have no idea what it was. It wasn't Stratomatic. It was just these little tiny cards. And, uh, maybe. I don't know what it was. What, what was that? What did you say? Dependent. That might be it, but it was, each player had their own little card on it. Yeah. And this is my this connection to players of that era. Like, you know, that's like – of the, you know, like, like with Tim McCarver, you know, and, yeah. and as a Met and Tom Seaver and all that. And I, that became like a huge fan of back and too, because of this game. <laughs> it was just yeah. funny. It was before I was even really paying attention. And I, I of course remember him pitching against the Phillies a lot too, but 
Yeah, that's really that. That's that's something. Uh, two cool. two short two short things here. One, yeah. uh, the last time I was up in Toronto, you know that um, you know the game ops will play these little games, these little trivia things, or top five this, just as filler during the TV timeouts. Well. Right. Please don't insult my intelligence when the, they have the top five nicknames in Leaf history, and they go through them, and one of the top five is not Dave Tiger Williams. Right. He had the entertainer Eddie Shack. You know, I think the number one was Doug Gilmore. His nickname was Killer. I mean, I, those are all fine and good, but how could you – I mean, he wasn't really, – nobody called him Dave Williams. Everybody called wow. him Tiger Williams. It should have been one of the top five. So, so You know what that tells me? That the Leafs were trying to stray away from their fighting past, where like the, the Flyers do the opposite still and no. show every fight before a game. They go overboard on that. I, I don't think it's that, Russ. I think whoever huh? put the list together is somebody who probably was born in the 1990s and doesn't know about the history of the Leafs. And I think that job should go to somebody who's at least aware of the history. Now, the other thing, I was up until about quarter to two this morning watching the Astros and Yankees. And Carlos Correa, who's a great player, hits a home run in the in the, in the I think it was the eleventh inning. Now I'll just say this: if we were playing, if we were playing and watching baseball twenty years ago, if Carlos Correa had done what he did when he hit the home run, which was walk down the first baseline holding his hand to his ear, in the first inning of Game Three, Luis Severino would throw a ninety-five yeah. fastball. Up his rear end and through and at his eyes. Dave Henderson, Dave Henderson did that as a Red Sox against the Mets. He did that for a couple teams. Like guys have been doing it. I get it. I don't love it, but that's the way it is now, man. Yeah. So in the in the post Jose Batista bat flip era, that is allowed. Although I don't really see Yankees do that. You know, they get on first base and they do their Brett Gardner up. Uh, bashing the bat yeah. up on the top of the uh, bat and for some reason put their fingers like this. Right. But they don't do that kind of celebration. I will be very interested in three games in Yankee Stadium. Rob. You know the Yankee Stadium crowd. They will make it living hell for the Astros every single sure. year. There'll be things thrown at them. They'll in, they'll insult Kate Upton. They will do anything to throw that team off. I, 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 now, the things thrown at them, that has been going on for a long time, and I am not in favor of that. I don't know if Mike is either, but he just said it's going to happen, and he's right. Well, it's going to happen. I mean, I mean, it's not going to be Ducky Medwick in the 34 World Series where they're throwing glass bottles at him in the outfield yeah. to take him out. But let's just say they'll, they'll, I'm sure some hot dog wrappers will be thrown from the outfield. Yeah. Now they will. All right. All right, let's get into this. I kind of had a catch-all show today for Thanksgiving. I got some fun little things. It's just I wrote a bunch of different notes on tiny links that I've noticed over the last couple of days. So I think it'll be kind of fun. Here we go. Ready? Hello, Hockey World. It's Monday, October 14th, 2019. I'm Michael Agello, and the Houston Astros suck. <laughs> I'm Russ Cohen. Go Strohs. <laughs> and I'm Eklund, and baseball's pointless. And you're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. You can follow Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And uh, yeah, I wanted to start off with the couple games that I watched, just like bizarre, random things. First of all, I just wanted to start off with the Patrick Marlowe return to the Sharks. And um, and it's it, it a funny thing to because I was listening last night. I was working really late um, on something that you know, I'm going to talk about later in the show. 
but I was working, I was up to about three o'clock in the morning and I was working on this thing and I, and I was, so I was listening to XM hockey because that's what I do late at night. And it gets into that repeat mode where every hour it says the same thing back over and over again. It took me like, because I was working and I just had it on the background. It took me like three times before I realized I've heard this three times now, but, <laughs> but you know, one of the things they were talking about was Patrick Marlowe and how he had come back to the Sharks and, you know, had this kind of crazy beginning. Like he really got, you know, two goals and assists, great start to, uh, to his, you know, to his return, really like emotional. Um, last night was, you know, and Patrick Marlowe is a tough one because he's, he's not emotional. Like he's not an emotional guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and he kind of has like that stoic face, but yet he does, obviously he doesn't, he doesn't, I'm not saying he's not emotional. He's actually very emotional. He's super emotional, but he doesn't show emotion at all. One of those kind of people. So watching him on the bench last night, you know, that when the Sharks fans were going crazy, it was really, uh, it's really interesting. You actually did see almost like a smile, like almost like, think, think about the times in life you've seen Patrick Marlowe smile for a second. Like, you know, it's just not, even when I interviewed him pre-cup, he was smiling. Yeah. He's pretty, he's pretty hardcore though. Like yeah. he's pretty much like, you know, even when he does something, something good happens on the ice. He's not like one of these guys like, yeah, big smile and going over to the guy. He's like very stoic when he skates over to somebody. So on XM last night, they're talking about, well, you know, let's 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 deal with the reality here. They would have signed Patrick Marlowe if they really wanted him. They're only bringing him in because of injuries, da da da, da. And yet I'm thinking to myself, you know, he didn't really suck last year. You know, like he wasn't like so terrible for the Leafs that, you know, that, that they should be talking about it, about him like they are talking about him. You know what I mean? It's like it's one of those things like they're acting like he was an – he's like, you know – I don't an know. Abject failure. Yeah, and he's, he wasn't. He left. No, he wasn't. That. He no. left at least because of cal- salary cap issues. No, no. Well, no. no okay. L- 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 let me. First of all, you're, you're right about your um, uh, about Marlowe's personality. I was yeah. in many media scrums with him. You know, he'll 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 crack a little bit of a smile or smirk, but he's pretty straightforward and pretty yeah. serious. Yeah. Uh, especially with the t- having to be that way with the Toronto media, because I think if you act sort of flippantly, you're, you're probably going to we criticize more than anything. On that, Mike, real quick, not to interrupt you, but he, you know, he was nervous around the San Jose media, so I was always like wondering what he was going to be like in the Toronto. But, but he handled he handled himself very well, very professionally, and was yeah. respected in that room and by the media as well. Um, but no, I, I think the thing with with Marlowe, and I have to sort of lay the blame at Mike Babcock for this. Patrick Marlowe, his first year, they moved him to center when. Yeah. When somebody got hurt, he played well. They moved him to the wing. Um, they played him on the second line for most of the year. He was basically on the first line, the, the, the most effective line in the in the in his first playoff against the Bruins. Um, last year, he started off playing with Matthews, then ended up getting moved down to the third line. But in the playoffs, if you look at the minutes breakdown, he played as much. I think it was I think in the third period of Game Seven, he played as much as Austin Matthews did. Babcock. Babcock overplayed him. He should have been a 13, 14 minute forward, being a guy who's 40 years old. And because Babcock trusted him, and that's uh, something that is sort of the history of Patrick Marlowe in a way, because he has, I think, been overplayed in situations a lot in his career. Um, and to, by by situations you wouldn't expect. Like I always thought, Team Canada overemphasized him. Like you know, not, not that he's he's a great player, but you know. And, but on Team Canada, you're among other great players, mm-hmm. and I thought he he was sort of put up on a higher pedestal than Team Canada should have. Like when they would play him, I, you know, yeah. nothing against him. You know what I mean, Rest at all? Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. Here was the thing: I w- I brought up Marlowe like a week ago on Sirius. I brought up him, Justin Williams, and can't remember who the other player was. Oh, it was Bufflin, and I said Bufflin, I think is done. 
I said, I think Justin Williams, if he doesn't come back in a couple weeks, is done. And I said the same thing about Marlowe. And I was just worried about him being able to catch right on because that's hard to do. And I didn't think they were going to try that. And they did it. And so far it's worked. But yeah. from a personal standpoint, I picked him up in the summer for my fantasy team because I still thought he could score 15 goals. And I still think he could score 15 goals. And that's what was bothering me last night. I mean, I was listening to, um, I don't know who it was. It was Jonathan Davis or somebody like that on there on the, on XM. But I, it was just, it was really bizarre to me how little respect Marlo was getting in this conversation because, you know, they yeah. really were. And, and honestly, you know, I know, the, the, he, there was a weird situation, okay, because I know Marlo pretty well, and I know his. I actually, my wife knows his wife, so like, there's a bunch of. So I know that he wasn't going anywhere but San Jose. I knew that, um, and I was shocked when he went to Toronto because I know his wife loved it in San Jose. Um, but I, so I knew that they really the only place I knew he could still play, but the only place he could play in his mind would be San Jose. So that's why you know this deal is so small there really was no negotiation here it was like a matter of like okay you know if you want to play we know we know this is the only place you want to you, you'll play i mean the sharks know this as well so this wasn't like you know his seven hundred thousand dollars is a freaking steal for patrick marlowe let's just throw that out there i mean it's just oh, yeah i mean that's ridiculous right i mean that's just off the charts ridiculous so well uh, and, and and this is the thing it's clear that they didn't want to bring him back you know uh doug wilson um, I, he didn't say it publicly, but but you know the assumption was all summer that that's the only place he would go. Yeah. Now that Mike Babcock was asked when after he had signed with San Jose, um, whether there was any consideration of the Leafs bringing him back because they they could they traded they traded him to Carolina. Carolina bought him out, and uh, they could have re-signed him for seven hundred thousand dollars, and Babcock would have probably loved it, but. Marlowe wanted to stay in California. His family had moved back there. That's where he wanted to go. And only when these injuries happened did did uh, they re-sign Marlowe. Now it's it's a perfect fit. You know he he's known in that and on that team he you know probably end up playing with Thornton eventually if he's yeah. already. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a good fit, and I think it will help them. And they needed the help because they started out zero four and they looked terrible. But now I think they've righted the ship a bit. Yeah, totally. he definitely helped them right the ship. But but Eck, we also have to remember, even though you thought it was weird that he would play with the Leafs, there were other teams bidding on him. And he oh, there were. No, there definitely were. And, and I, he was willing to go to other teams besides the Leafs. They just had the best best offer in the end. Yeah, and I think that's true. I mean, I and then I think I mean I I've heard I've heard that there were other offers from other places that might have been. There were. Yeah, the Leafs put one more year on the table than other teams. Right, they did. And that 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 meant something to him, obviously. And you know, and he ended up winning out on that one. You know, when he gets yeah. when and, he gets caught out, yeah. Uh, and you know, and he deserves. It. I mean, listen, I mean, he is a San Jose Shark legend. There's no twist, yeah. right? So let's just let me. And it's fun to see him and Thornton playing together again. That that's true. And then they're funny about it on the bench, and the whole thing was really kind of silly, you know. Um, just okay, like Wink Gates is another San Jose Sharks legend, right? Next big thing here. Um, you know, we, we often talk about the NWHL here, not too often, but once in a while, you know, it's fun. And so yesterday I'm flipping around, you know, trying to find something to watch because there's nothing but stupid football on. And um, I'm like, okay, there's got to be some hockey somewhere, you know, got to be hockey somewhere. And uh, yeah, I know the Jets, I heard. Um, <laughs> it helped out your team, so you better be nice about it. Right, yeah, yeah. So what I found was uh, this. I found this yesterday, which is the official Twitch stream of yeah. the NWHL. Yeah, I thought was really cool. Um, you know, you can watch the NWHL games now on Twitch live. Um, 
it's a lot of fun. And it was really just like, it was highly entertaining, you know, and great players. Great. And the cool thing is also they have like a chat room here. You can see that goes yep. on. It's happening, which is fun. You know, I thought of every, every hockey game should have a chat room going on next to it. Um, as I was watching it, that was just hilarious. We, we yeah. talked about this act one day when you were off. Yeah. And it's funny because I brought it up when, again, there was that other rival league that's trying to take out the NWHL because the NWHL stinks and they cut everybody's salaries in half, even though they're the only ones paying anybody. Right. And they actually, they just came out the other day and when they signed, re-signed Dunkin' Donuts, but they also got a new owner who's actually local to Boston for the Boston team. Teams, uh, players are getting 50% of the ad revenue, media revenue. So, yeah. so that's a big deal. So they're at least trying and the Twitch thing is big. And yeah. I remember we brought it up. And so I saw a number the other day. I think on one of the games, they had about 8,000 viewers. That's pretty awesome. And and I think it's going to grow. I mean, they've had as many as – they've had 100,000 or more for, like, their all-star games and stuff. But I think this other league is going to have a very hard time because at the end of the yeah. day, we could spout out all these things like, well, they should all be one and this and that, and maybe you don't like Danny Ryland. And I've interviewed her a few times, and I think she's done a good job <laughs> with the, league, the best she could. Could she have done a better job? Sure, because I think she has rubbed some players the wrong way. But it, that's what all commissioners do. But at the I did end an interview recently with Hillary Knight that I'm going to be putting out. I, I talked to her for quite a while on the phone. Okay. It was a really nice interview. And um, yeah, yeah, this league is surviving. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in women's hockey right now. So yeah. I thought that was yeah. Fun. But but the but the problem is is that and you know things can change because right now it's mid October, but this boycott. By the former, right? I mean, nobody, nobody is is crossing picket lines, or nobody is is um, going over to the NWHL in in hordes. But the NWHL is still existing, and they they their goal by this boycott was to kill the NWHL, and it's right. not happening. And this and this dream, I don't know whether the NHL is going to come in as the savior like the NBA did with the WNBA and spot. I don't think that's happening. I don't so think that's happening. One of the things I got from talking to Hillary Knight and some other people too is that there are actually owners out there who are trying to put that together. Um, and it'll be they're not going to do a good job. Story, right? hopefully, it'll, hopefully, it'll be something that matters. You know. Um, well, I mean, it, it, the thing is, it's sort of going in the wrong direction here, Eck, because you you had a team uh, in Buffalo, the Buttes, that had sort of loose sponsorship from the Pagulas, and they divested themselves from yeah. it. So, and you know, if you if you're if you're looking for a sponsor, you can't get much better than Kim Pagula, who's the co-owner of the Sabers and the Bills. You know, a woman of great intelligence and 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 wealth, and they divested themselves. So, what does that say for? you know, where things are going here. I'll tell you the one thing, and I've had this argument with some very logical people and better business people than me, but I do understand sports. There always are going to be owners that want to have their own team, their own league, and say they can do it better, and that's why this other one's trying to do it. This other one is not paying anybody. They don't have a league. They don't have teams. They you just have to be careful. Man. Yeah, that's the thing. We got to be careful because, the. I mean, I, as a soccer dad, you know, um, the Women's Soccer League – the ownership situation that, that that destroyed that league was was a sin. I mean that the, what happened there where the <clears throat> owner ended up suing it was just a mess and the whole thing fell apart because of one guy. Yeah, you know, and that and that is just that that destroys dreams, destroys all kinds of things. You really oh, it does. It does a lot of damage. But what I mean, they really need to step up, and that that's honestly at the end of the day, the NHL group just because you have Hillary Knight and a few players yeah. that are very well off. 
that can afford to not play for a year or two or forever because they've made money in the Olympics supporting you doesn't mean you have enough for a league. And I noticed, and I kept telling Mike over the summer, players were going to trickle back over to the NWHL, and they did. And so I think that's always going to happen. I don't think they're going to have a rival league. They had one in Canada, and they never, ever paid, and they went under as a result. There was a chance to merge at one point. It didn't happen, and they went out of business. And There's a lot of short-sightedness there, and it's because because no one has enough faith to go – and realize that there's a long tail to this thing, you know, like that's what has to happen. Right. They have someone has to have the faith and say, okay, this is we're going to lose money for 10, 15 years here, but mm-hmm. but we're going to make this. We're going to join up with all the the growing. We're going to realize that 10 years from now, and versus 10 years ago, the amount of w- girls playing hockey in the U.S. is just enormously different. So 10 years from now, imagine what that's going to be, and then and that's where you go because that's how the so- it's, that's how soccer in the U.S. is making it. Because and people don't even realize that the amount of tickets that are sold through soccer clubs, oh yeah, are just are like half of them, you know. And it's like, and every soccer club has, you know, like every every team my daughter's ever played on, you know, you have to buy a certain amount of tickets to see the uh, union play, you know, or whatever. And and you know, and then and then one game of one game a year, my daughter gets to run onto the field with the Philadelphia Union players, and it's just that yeah. thing works, and it's just it's amazing. It's really, um, and that's how this can work because women's girls hockey in this area, I'm I'm very close to. a big rink that has a lot of tournaments and uh, and a hotel that's just like you know a mile down the road um you know and we go we go we often go to breakfast at this hotel you know as, as a family and i'm always amazed and now now i'm seeing like girls teams in there just for an entire weekend for a tournament just this crazy you know you never saw it before it was just never right. so i uh, was stepping forward back to the angel for a second yeah um there is one player right now that is absolutely uh of all the players this weekend i wanted he's a russian he shocked me with his with the, with his play this weekend i thought he was in the game i watched i thought he was just dominant and i'm like and he's 26 years old he's been around the nhl for a while and that would be um vladislav nemestnikov who in that game against the ottawa the ottawa tampa game which the ottawa senators won which was a fascinating game of course um because you wouldn't think i mean here's the best team in the nhl and the worst team in the nhl by all by most people's standards um and nemestnikov goes nuts in it and just looks like he dominates the ice uh, and then I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, he's a Russian, and Russians usually have a reason when they go nuts. I go back and I forgot that, you know, hey, <laughs> guess where he started? Right. Um, you know, like his first is from 2013 to 2018. He was a very much Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Yeah. And uh, and it's 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 fascinating, you know, that that this has always been the case. Russians like they get motivated. They get motivated by certain things. Well, I think what I'll tell you what's motivating them now. Uh, when the Rangers got them. I think there was hopes on both sides that it was going to work out. Yeah. But unfortunately, Nemestikov's one of these guys that you can't really put in a box. He's yeah. not really a center, and so he ends up on the wing, but he can play center. So that nobody ever knows where to play him all the time. It's hard to find line mates for him, and the Rangers failed in what they were trying to do with him. So they showcased him early in the year. He had a couple of good games, and they got rid of him because of salary cap issues. Yeah. He can play. He's always been able to play. and But at the end of the day – he has never found that home where he has a line all the time. Yeah. In Ottawa, he could do whatever he wants. They he don't fear him. He's one of those guys who needs the puck, and he needs yeah. to carry the puck. You can saw when he carries the puck up the ice, he does make things happen. He has yeah. that ability. And, you yeah. know, I realize he's only, you know, played two games this year with the Rangers, played two games now with the Sens, and uh, has, you know, four points in those two games for the Sens. Well, remember this. He had scored, I believe, 20 goals with Tampa when he was part of he was part of the McDonough trade, right, Russ? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 20 goals, 44 points that year. 
Yeah. So and then sixty-two games. Only and, then, and then and then his remaining time with the Rangers, he barely scored. So it wasn't a good situation for him. He was playing fourth line with the Rangers, which is not you know with somebody right. with talent, talent basis and making four million bucks. It made no sense. Right. I'm sure he's motivated to play against Tampa, but what I think he's more motivated for is the fact that, you know, he's a UFA at the end of this year. Yeah, sure. He, you know, he has an opportunity in Ottawa to get plenty of ice time. They're going to play him probably as a second or third line center and get offensive opportunities. And then more than likely Ottawa at the deadline is going to trade him because they can get value back for him and uh, in that managing their assets and, 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 Getting rid of salary is is part and parcel of what Pierre Dorian and uh, and Eugene Melnick do. But he but, can he can set himself up for next July. When you say that, Mike, and I do agree with you, it was really one of the most bizarre things about watching that game um, was the fact that Melnick just loved Nemestico. Like you could see, like it was a funny thing. Like you know, Melnick doesn't you know his response to things yeah. you know, press box. You could tell that he was just he was like in awe of the guy. Now, you know, and that doesn't mean he's not going to trade him, like you say, but at the same point, maybe he doesn't, you know, like maybe he says, okay, maybe this is one of the guys that we can build up. Maybe New Mexico says, you know what? I've been around and I don't want to go someplace where I'm going to play on the fourth line anymore. Like I want to play here and this is, this could be a fit. This really, yeah, eventually he'll end up in that same place in Ottawa because I mean, right now Ottawa's got three guys who I think will be dealt before the trade deadline. One is Craig Anderson. Another is an Artem Anisimov, And the third is Nemestikov. They're, you know, they're gonna they're gonna use them for this year. They're veteran guys. They're gonna play a lot of minutes. Um, you know, they don't want to expose their young kids early on. But at the end of the year, they're gonna want to get those kids into the league and playing. And those guys that that are either close to being UFA or UFA at the end of the year are rentals, and they and they will deal them. Well, yeah. I mean, they do have plenty of money. At some point, they do have to keep some players. So he yeah. could be a player they keep. It just looks like it works. Like, you know, like, and it's very early. Okay. And granted, and this is a, this is a big revenge game for Mestikov and all that stuff, you know, and I was a little bit, if, if, if it, you know, I was a little bit, you know, I don't know. My, my whole enthusiasm was a little bit brought back by the fact, okay, yeah, he did play for Tampa, you know, like, okay. So yeah. like, I want to see what he does when he's not playing against Tampa or the Rangers, you know, like that's what you want to yeah. see like, at this point. Cause he's definitely going to be one of those guys, but it was fun to like see like this is what is great about the NHL sometimes that like the that the Ottawa Senators can beat the Tampa Bay Lightning four to two on a in, on a rogue Saturday you know like that to me was something that was kind of fascinating and yeah. and uh, Vepsis in the chat you, you know it, it expresses a uh, a possibility that regarding Nemestikov is <laughs> they trade him at the deadline and then they re-sign him in the summer if they yeah, like him. Too. And that you know, we know that the Senators have to get the least of the cap floor. They have so many young players that it's going to be tough. They you know they they have uh, a certain they they spent money you know, like three and a half million dollars on Ron Hainsey just to get to the cap floor and take on guys like uh, like Martin uh, Martin Gaberick and yeah you know, uh, guys like Clark MacArthur. Their their contracts are expiring at the end of this year, so they're going to have right. to occupy some cap space. So it's possible, but I think that they won't pass up the opportunity to trade their rentals. Well, a couple of things about the Lightning along these lines because I'm watching that because I really want to see what's going on with Lightning because you know you expected them to come back like come out of the gate sort of pissed off and you're going to try to, you know, and they really have come off, come out really like, you know, not that. Um, and to, to the point where Cooper, who I think, you know, Cooper's definitely one of my favorite coaches in the NHL. And he's one of those guys who is, you know, just from a media point of view is wonderful to deal with, but he's panicking a little bit with some of his line combinations. I mean, just to, to see him, to see him already going 
you know, now I know, now I know they killed the Maple Leafs, <laughs> but well, yeah, I see him going with Stamkov, Kucherov, and and you know, Braden Point together on a line um, is a little he, bit like he's under a lot of pressure. Actually. There's no question about and, it. Um, and it's, it's it's ironic you, that you bring that up, Ak, because it's funny where John Cooper's attention is focused. In the pregame on Thursday, yeah. Babcock was asked about uh, that very line, Kucherov being put between uh, Stamkos and Point and Kucherov all on the same line. And, you know, Babcock said, well, a ton of talent. I don't know if there's enough puck to go around. And that was just sort of a flippant comment. After the game, that line had scored 11 points in the game. They won 7-2. to two. And Cooper says, well, I guess they know how to share the puck. Right. Here's what Mike Babcock oh. How about focusing on the fact that your team was the best team in the league last year and you choked so bad against Columbus? That's how he takes pressure off of his team. Yeah, here's the thing with him. And this is what's cool about him, too, is he literally he did that on purpose. He says he does. He's very smart. He's yeah, very, of course he is. Very calculated. And he also sort of represents you're talking with Babcock and Cooper. You really are seeing like the two kings of their factions of coaching. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Babcock is the king of the old school. Cooper's the yeah, he's the big grinding guys. Cooper's the smaller, fast guys. King, king of the new school. So it's like there's a definite and there's the old school and new school coaching right now is a, there's a way bigger rivalry going on behind the scenes than people realize. Like there's there's a huge thing happening, and you know you're seeing it all over the place. And it's definitely these two really feel like they really are for their side of this. Like they really Cooper thinks his way is better. Babcock thinks his way is better. There's no choice about that. They will fight for that and. You know, that was a winning that game. I mean, and it was interesting to see because it's like it really shows you, though, when Tampa loses to Ottawa and beats Toronto in a weekend, <laughs> um, you know, you, you do you do have to look at coaching a little bit. Like you have to say, OK, you know, what's going on here? Like, how is that possible? Like how is and you just have to also look at a team that is obviously bored of the regular season already in Tampa. Like Tampa is Tampa, Tampa is one of those teams that wants to go to the playoffs right now. Like they want to fix what happened last year immediately. And they have to get their act together and start playing hockey well. I mean, there are certain things that are weird about that team, though. Like, Kevin Shattenkirk has three goals in five games for the Tampa Bay Light. I mean, that's not a shot because if yeah. you play him the right way, that's that's what's going to happen. And he's got a chip on his shoulder right now. Right. So, yeah, that's not shocking. But but they have to get through the war of the 82-game season. That's going to be the biggest battle for them. Out of them. Victor Hedman is a minus four, which is way worse than anybody else on the Tampa Lightning. There's just strange things happening with the Lightning. Yeah, yeah but but and, and we can move this to other teams, too. We're talking about five or six. Oh, I know. And I know. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, okay, right now, for example, right now, the worst player, the worst defenseman on the Toronto Maple Leafs has been Morgan Riley. He's not the worst defenseman. He's their best defenseman. But oh. in the first six games, he has played terribly. One of the like the one of the Shattenkirk goals on Thursday, he walked around Morgan Riley like he was standing still. So you know that, and so you can say, but here, you're right. Here about that. It's um, about that. It's really kind of interesting to me is that when you look at that Tampa defense, it's such an offensive defense. Morgan Riley is going to against every good line in the NHL. Like he's going to be out there constantly. Babcock is going to put him against the best players all the time because he's one of the best defensive defensemen they have. And so plus minus is going to take a beating for that. You know, there's no question about it. You know, same thing is happening to a degree with Tampa with Hedman. You know, there's, there's just, you're looking at offense, right? Yeah. Um, 
funny thing is, is that the, you know, the analytics aficionados are saying, well, Riley looks bad because he's paired with Cody Cece. It's not Cody Cece. It's Riley. Riley has not played well. And it's not. I know he hasn't played well and he hasn't. I mean, and I, you know, that's, he's still, people forget he's still kind of young. Like, you know, he's still sort of young for defense. He's like, five years old. No, but I mean, this, this is the start of the season. Like there are ups and downs. Really, I mean, maybe he's not as young as I thought he was more like 24. Sorry about that. Yeah, the, um, but the point I'm making is, yeah. is that it's early in the season and good yeah. players can have bad starts. And I think you know Riley is scoring points, but he's not but he's not playing defensively the way he did last year. And it, I don't think it has anything to do with his, you know his defensive partner being Cody CC instead of Ron Hainsey because Ron Hainsey was limited and Cody CC has played okay. But that if you extrapolate that to other situations like the Edmonton Oilers being five and0, Talk about full goal. <laughs> no, but but again, I'll tell you the reason for, for both of these things. Mm-hmm. With the leaks. Here we get there, Mike. Thanks. The Babcock message is getting old and muddled. <laughs> With the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Cooper message is getting old and muddled. That's why Stamkos had to say something the other day. Right. And it's all bright and shiny new right now in Edmonton, and that message is getting through. That's what it is. Of course. And Edmonton, I mean, I mean, there's there's things that are very wrong. I mean, I'm, I you know, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go anymore. I've doted enough on the Oilers, but I mean there's things that are definitely wrong there. They're they're getting all their goals from very few people. That's a problem. They are they've come from behind in every single game they played. That's a problem. They're not starting well. They're getting good goaltending at key times, though. And that's what you know, that's what Mike Smith can do for you. Mike Smith is a really good momentum goalie. He is not a great goalie, but he's a good momentum goalie, and he will make saves when you need them big times. And that's what he's doing right now. And and that's why Tippett trusts him. You know, like bottom line is he trusts him because he knows that'll happen. I mean, the 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 Jane thing is kind of predictable, you know, not not to the level, but you know, he really was buried on the fourth line often and third line often in Calgary and didn't and played on the power play. I, I heard the numbers ridiculously rarely for for Calgary Flames, you know. I mean, that trade. When you think about James Neal just two years ago was a really good player in the NHL, like on a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, and Milan Lucic has been a good player, you know, since the turn of the century or whatever. He still James Neal, and in the Ranger game, he got completely taken out of his game by Brendan Lemieux. And so, oh, yeah. you know, and so that's Here's why issue, he's, play, he's not playing in this division. You know, if he was playing in this division, that would be a thing. But he's playing in the Pacific, where that's I know, not going to. They're going to start doing it to him now. Now that he. You got to remember, if you go look at one or two of those goals with Bevel, they let him completely alone in front of the net to to deflect in a puck like it was practice. Yeah. Like that's how bad the Devils are right now. They played four. They played a four man box, and nobody played around the net. And so, some of his plays have been great, and McDavid has helped that. What yeah. I'm saying is other teams are going to start to get under his skin now. You watch. The thing that I was impressed by was that they kept the Rangers to what, like 21 shots in that game or something? Yes. Like that? And that was something I brought up last night. So it's clear Dave Tippett is going to ask the Edmonton Oilers to play perfect hockey. And of the two teams right now, if you ask them to play perfect hockey, right now the Oilers are better set up to do that than yeah. the Rangers because the Rangers aren't strong down the middle. And there's you know a couple of other reasons. So. Yeah. I still don't know if the Oilers can do that all year. And I don't think Dave Tippett yeah. should be asking that of them all year. Yeah. I think at some point he's going to have to change that. But in that game, they did it exactly right. But I will tell you, it was like 1-1 middle of the second period, I think, in that game. 
Yeah, I, I almost get if you get a get the feeling that Daryl Cates slipped some money into the NHL school makers. I wrote about this. You can't have it both ways. No, I, I know, but let me just let me just read it all. I mean, okay, they're five and oh. Canucks, yep, Kings, yep, Islanders, yeah, Rangers. There's a cavalcade of the top echelon of the NHL. Are you but all of those teams, except for maybe the Kings, you guys picked to finish ahead of them. So, like, let's step back and sit back, you know, like, I mean, like, you can sit back and say they have a terrible schedule, but you all picked them to finish below all those teams they're beating. So, for uh, I picked them to finish sixth in the Pacific, and I can continue to say that they're going to finish sixth in the Pacific. This is a, this is a, you know, the Buffalo Sabres won 10 games in a row, and then we're the worst team in the NHL in the second half. The funny thing is, Mike, their next five games are pretty easy, too. Their first right. game, their first ten games are, and if you go, if you go, like you know, eight and two in your first ten games in the NHL, you're you're a playoff threat. You know, there's no two ways about it. You can't get around it. It's just that's the way it's been. You know, I would like to find how many teams have gone five and zero and not made the playoffs in the NHL in the last several years. I mean, there's not many. I mean, yeah, it's really, such an early thing. The way I get down, I'm not putting any stock into any of that. I've got something that I want to show you guys because this is um B A double L S um in my opinion. Um, this this play by this is why Andre Fleury is crazy. Ready? So watch this play here. I'm going to show you here. Oh, this I saw this play. I know what you're talking about. This is like you know this goaltending. You know, here, here comes the, the puck in. You know, yeah, I'll just do this and then watch this. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, how a goalie should ever do that? No. Like, you know what I mean, it's like they should never do that. I can imagine most goalies would like trip. And and fall backwards. That'll get you benched, kids. If you try that on your, I mean, yeah. if you try that, they'll get you benched. I mean, okay, I, if you do that in rec hockey and like in a, a league rather with you know like a 10, 12 year old, forget it, you're done. Oh yeah, no, you're gonna get benched immediately. And I was, it's funny because I just saw something like this happen recently in soccer, where you know, there's a play in soccer, one of the many plays in soccer that I think makes soccer terrible. There's a play in soccer where you know a ball comes to the goal, the key, and the key ball the ground until a player runs up to them and they'll pick it up. You know, and it's like one of these things, okay. And it's, it's just all time because it has a stupid clock system and all that stuff. But so I saw a player, a, a goalie in high school, instead of just picking it up, try to like juggle it up with their feet to their hands <laughs> when someone was coming in on them. This is kind of a similar play to this. And I just was like, whoa. And, you know, that player did it and they did it successfully, but they were benched immediately, which is like how it should be in that situation. Um, next little you quick thing I have. We should be bring up one thing, though, about Flurry. So, <clears throat> and we talked about this. I don't know, remember if you were on the show or not, how Malcolm Subban wasn't doing very well. So now he gets sent down. Oscar Dance gets brought up, and Oscar Dance is having a horrible start to his season. Yeah. But Mark Andre Flurry is going to play every game. Right now, he's played six games. I mean, he's 34 years old. At some point, yeah. this organization is going to overplay him, and it's going to happen. I don't know what year. And I feel bad because I, I love Mark andre Fleury. But, again, how much can this guy take? How many of these games can he take? I mean, he's probably going to be on pace for, like, 68, 70 games if they go this route. Oh, I know. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, okay, so along these lines of Mark andre Fleury, um, I wanted to talk about what I'm going to be doing this afternoon and then show you guys the lines for this. Because when we do this – so I have, I've, I've been doing this. This has been, like, three years in the making – that I wanted to have the greatest players of all time play against each other in a tournament. So I, I've been working on it forever. I worked with EA, EA NHL. They, they were really great with me. They, they gave me some special things to, that I can do to make these players look and, you know, look more realistic and all that stuff. And I am really, really fired up 
about what I'm going to do this afternoon, which is going to launch this by um, basically putting by starting this tournament. And it's like a tournament of champions. And what it is, is these are the greatest teams of all time as picked by our friends over at fungosports.com. Um, and uh, Steve Cheridov, who's one of my best friends, a, he has a place down the shore right across from me, great like hockey historian guy. Um, he He's helped pick these things, and uh, as will some of the bloggers like that. And we are putting together, so I built the Montreal Canadiens team, which has close to, I counted 97 Stanley Cups on this team. <laughs> That's like one of the most ridiculous things ever. Like here's a team that has 97 Stanley Cups, right? Um, it's nothing. So I, I, Garrett on Ray Richard, I think that's like 15 right off the bat. Right, 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 right. It, it's crazy. So, um, and, you know, and how many number fours, like I've been trying to figure out the, it's so hard with Montreal to, to build these players and make them look good and, and make them the size they are. And the only rule I have about it that's kind of funky is that, well, the two rules is that a player played in the city. So the city counts, you know, where it is. So the Winnipeg Jets from before are, the, are still going to be Winnipeg. It depends where you played in the city. But the other thing that I've done with this that I think is kind of cool is that you have to have one player at least that played in in the 2000s. Now that's on that team, and that's that's not hard for most teams. But for the for the Montreal Canadiens, you actually have to enforce that rule, which is pretty funny. Like you had to come up with um. So you put so, Francis Bouillon on the team, right? No, so he picked um. He, late Rassico. He picked this team, and uh, I thought it was probably the way to go because you can't you can't touch the forwards on this team. Okay, like um, you got you know his first line is Beliveau. Rocket Richard and Howie Moran. Second line is Shut, Lemaire, and LaFleur. Third line is Dickie Moore, um, Henri Richard, and Jeffrey on. And fourth line is like really old guys in 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 um in Ariel Juliet, Juliet, Newt mm -hmm. Lalonde, and Yvonne Cornoyer. Okay, so I would make one suggestion here though. Go ahead. Richard should be on the fourth line. Cornoyer, I don't believe ever played the fourth line. He was too fast, and I don't think he was a fourth liner. Even when he was older against the Rangers, I think he was a third liner. Okay, well, there's no real harm in being the fourth I liner. He was one of the fastest guys in hockey. I don't know, on the fourth line? Okay. He actually has been put on the second power play unit, which is kind of cool. Um, no, that's good. Because we, I had I had readers um, submit their um, power play and uh, penalty killing units, and, one, and our Habs fan, 1198, did his, which is kind of cool. So um, defensively, uh, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard is the top pairing. Uh, Doug Harvey, Silvio Mantha is the second pairing. And the third pairing is Guy Lapointe and P.K. Subban. Now, that's where, of course, you have to have your guy in the 2000s. Right. If you're going to pick somebody, that's pretty much the guy. You know, like the, you, have, you have to go with the defenseman. You can't take any of the forwards away because you're already taking away guys like Carboneau and Ganey and forwards that are just like, and that should be on this team, yeah. right? And the goalies are Plant and Roy. Goalies are Plant, nope, nope, Plant and Dryden. Um, and I oh, think that's crap. Oh my oh, god, that's tough. That is a load of crap. Why? Why? Because yeah. Patrick Roy is arguably the best goaltender in the history of the league. No, but the, remember something about this, okay? Well, this let me finish. Go ahead. Patrick Roy is one of the best goaltenders in the history of the league, and Ken Dryden played behind a brick wall of a defense that you named three defensemen: Savard, Robinson, and Lapointe. He was he was an above average goaltender. He was not a superstar. I was close to a superstar, Mike. He was. He I was good. He was not. Stanley Cup in eight years. Not Mike. Patrick Waugh. <laughs> He's not Patrick Waugh, but he was close to a superstar. He just say this. He wrote a better book about hockey than he was a hockey player. No, but I will tell you this, Mike. Here's the thing about Dryden, and I saw him playing from like the '70s on until you know I didn't see his whole career. Yeah. But as one of the bigger goalies, he was one of the only successful bigger goalies. Yeah, Most right. of the bigger goalies stunk. Had, horrible. 
That's had, true. Had Team Canada lost the Summit Series in 72, the guy who would have been burned in effigy would have been Ken Dryden because he played terribly. All right. I mean, I'm listen, I'm not, I'm, this is a tough, I mean, they've got four incredible goals. So, yeah, they do. They do. But, but at the end of the day, you, six Vezina, six Stanley Cups, six, like, I mean, Dryden is like, it, it's just kind of, ins- I mean, Patrick Waugh was, you know, what, had two Stanley Cups for the, yeah, two Stanley Cups. Yeah, right? in his rookie year, he won one. Yeah. For the Dryden, um, both did, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, to me, that's and, – and, you know, Patrick Wild will – you know, he'll definitely be on the – the last one for which they still haven't won one. Right. Thank Mario Trombley for that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's like – to me, I mean, it, it, the, the the choice between who's going to start, Plant or Dryden, is, is goes back and forth as well. But there's, you know, There should not be any question. It's Jacques Plant. Like, it, there really should not be any question. I mean, he was good, but he wasn't, you know, looking at it. He was good. He was amazing. I mean, he's historical. He invented all this stuff. But, like, you know, his his, his, his career save percentage was 913. You can't go by save percentage in those days, Zach. You can't do it. All right. I, this is why I, I'm, I'm all for, like. Oh, look at how many games he played. I know. No question about it, obviously. Even yeah. as an older goalie for the Rangers, he still had a mystique about him that made him Jacques Plante. Like, he just. Yeah. He I mean, is an all-timer, all-timer. I mean, great. You, you you could go a number of directions with the Canadians. You can go with the Shakutami Cucumber, uh, George Vesna. You could go with right. Hayward. Yeah, there's tons. I mean, Wardley, Rogi Vashon. I mean, but the top the top three, uh, the top two, there, there's no disputing. It's Plant and it's Wah. But okay, whatever. Well, this is this is Steve's pick, and I'm going with it. Um. I thought it was, you know, it's 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 a tough one, and I agree. But you know, Dryden is it's hard to it's hard to ignore Ken Dryden, you know, in the history of the Montreal Game. I was to say that when Mike Palmatier is chosen for the Leafs, um, then you know, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of Mike Palmatier, but he wasn't one of the two best goaltenders in Leaf history. When when it comes yeah. to me, cho- me choosing the Leafs roster, I, I will not factor yeah. in, you know, that. Yeah, no, and I'm and I look forward to that. Um, so wait, I want to point this out to you. So go ahead. In 1962, Jacques Plante played 70 games. How many games did the Montreal Canadiens play that year? 70. 70. Yeah, no, this Thank that you. was the that was the year. No question about it. And it's fun because in EA um, in NHL uh, 2000, they have these. They have the, the you can play Plant without a mask. It's pretty crazy. So Which pretty is great. Fun. I love that. So that kind of thing. So you know. So yeah, so today you know you have you'll have Plant, um, you have Plant and Dryden in the game. I was you know leaning towards Dryden, but if you guys want to if you guys want to throw Plant in there and you guys both think Plant should play over Dryden, I'll, I'll go with you guys. Because um, I because I you know you can make a mistake and not do it. It's fine by me. <laughs> um, so they're going to play against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, which is the thirty first ranked team um, all time. Of course, they've only been in existence for three years. And uh, the great so the great thing about this, remember there are thirty one team. So this is second versus 31. And the only way to make this tournament wise is I had to give the first seed a buy, right? So to, to have it, so I could have, so I could go to 16 games in the second round. And um, so the first, first seed overall is picked by all of you guys out there was the Edmonton Oilers, which was actually finished ahead. The all-time Edmonton Oilers ahead of the all-time Montreal Canadiens based on your votes. I wouldn't agree with that, but um, it's kind of hard to say, you know, it's, I mean, I've been all-time Edmonton Oilers team is pretty crazy. So um, but they will play against uh, a line of the, uh, the the Vegas Knights, which, of course, is line one, Pacioretty, Stastny Stone, line two, Marcheseau, Carlson, Riley Smith, 
Line three is um, James Neal comes back to the comes back to them. Uh, Cody Eakin and Dave Perron comes back to them. Um, and line four would be Cody Glass, Eric Holler returns, and Alex Tuck. Um, defensively will be Schmidt, Theodore, McNabb, Engelin, Merrill, and Colin Miller will return. Um, so, and of course, it'll be Mark Andre Fleury, who is the only hope they have in this game. But it'll be fun to watch, like the the um, the flying Frenchman and how fast they are. I mean, I, I played through a couple of these games just to see just to see how it would look and how you know it would be ridiculous. And you know, they're they're you know the Canadians are, are a great team. They but Mark Andre Fleury has kept the Knights in some of the games that I that I've simulated, which has been interesting. Not for not forever, but for the for a little while at least. And. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been kind of fun. So that'll be this afternoon. I'll be doing it on Twitch, and I'll put a link up, and you'll be able to watch it. Um, and at some point, I would definitely I love to have you guys, um, Mike and Russ, or whoever wants to join me in commentating on this as this goes on live. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, just definitely. One, just one note before we go, uh, Russ had to drop off. Um, the The Maple Leafs sent down uh, Rasmus Sandin, their 2018 first round pick. I, it's funny because I answered a question in my Q and A uh, yesterday about Sandin and about how he was playing. He was playing pretty well. Right. Um, there, right. no, there's no doubt in my mind he's one of the top six Leaf defensemen right now. But he's 19 years old. He's playing about 12 minutes a game. He's not playing any power play or penalty kill. Um, he he didn't look great on a couple of goals against uh, Detroit on Saturday, but I think the thing is they they know that this kid is really good. They don't want to burn the first year of his entry level contract. He's only he's played six games. If he plays three four more, then they burn the first year of his ELC. And with the Leafs being a team that is going to have to be counting dollars the next couple of years, they want him on his entry level contract uh, for as long as possible. So they call up Kevin Gravel. And Travis Dermott, who has been off since uh, May, since uh, off-season shoulder surgery, is skating around in a non uh, non. He was skating around in a non-contact jersey. Now he's skating around in a contact jersey. So he may be a week or so away. So that's probably the reason why they sent him down. Makes some sense. A couple more quick little fun stats um, from the weekend. Um, the, 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 this, this, this is definitely an out there stat, but it's, it is interesting and fascinating. Um, a primary assist on game-winning goals um, NHL history. Um, who has the most primary assist on game-winning goals? And, you know, this is pretty – it's Gretzky to start with. He's 40, 40 ahead of anybody else um, at 168. Um, who do you think, Mike, after that? And in the chat room, feel free to jump in if you want to guess on the primary assists in NHL history. Brian Trottier. It's a good guess. Now he's like, I think when I did this, he was like seventh. Because um, he always assisted on Bossy's goal. Definitely in the top ten. Boss, bossy Trache is kind of like a forgotten thing that really just doesn't get enough credit. You know, like that's something that was so good for a while there. Just people just have no idea. It's not a defenseman, by the way. What's that? It's not a defenseman. Someone asked in the chat room. It's a defenseman. Uh, Peter Stasny. Nope. Uh, we got in. Brad got in the chat room. He may have checked. He may have seen this somewhere, but I'm going to give it to him right now. Um, but second would be Ron Francis, um, which is, you know, a good one. Um, people forget how good Ron Francis was and how he played, you know, how when he played for Pittsburgh and, you know, he picked up a lot of these. Um, and yep. Third and Harvard. Yeah. Third. Third would be um, Mr. Hockey Gordy Howe. And fourth, um, as of this weekend, is Joe Thornton. Neat. It's kind of thing, you know. I mean, Thornton just he's played a while, obviously, but uh, man, oh man, you know, that's something else. 
And, uh, I, you know, Joe Thornton just, he can still pass. I mean, just watching him play this weekend, he still has, he still has just an incredible vision for passing. Just like, just one of these things. He slows the game around like crazy. Um, and then finally, I was told I should talk about this, and I think this is definitely an interesting one, is, um, you know, the Penguins, the Penguins scoring all these goals without, like, the big guys getting points is really funny to me. Like, like you know, you can see it, like, you know, they don't have, I mean, they've, they've scored 14 goals through 100 minutes now, um, playing without Bukestead, Galchenyuk, Malkin. Um, and that's pretty, that's something, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, Malkin and Galchenyuk are big guys, but it's not even Crosby's not even scoring goals. It's like, you know, it's really amazing. Like you watch the goals, like if you saw the goals they scored yesterday, I think when they put up seven, it was like, you know, what you're like watching the Wolves, Bryce Scranton Penguin. It's just crazy. Like they're the and number. Teddy, Teddy Bluger is scoring. And yeah. I mean, you know, and Getzel's coming up big, which is good because he usually doesn't come up big. But I'm um, right off the bat. But my yeah, they're also they're also playing against the defenseless Winnipeg Jets. You have no, to- no question about that. But at the same time, just slowly but surely, Patrick Line is off to a hell of a start. You know, like one of these things that you know, who knows what that's going to mean. And uh, and I have to address also a rumor that I put up on the weekend, which is the Islanders um and Patrick Line and and talking to some sources on the island, um, including one of our buddies that used to be podcaster with us, um. Who has some sources up there? The uh, the Islanders um, and Patrick Liney are definitely a thing, and, and the Islanders believe they can get them. Um, they believe that the Liney relationship with Winnipeg is is very very tenuous at best. Um, obviously, the signing it took a long time to get him signed. It, it's just a short, very short deal. Um, but the question is, what do you have to give up? And from all you know, from all indications, you know, it's Dobson that the uh, that the Jets want. You know. Um, and uh, you they, don't, would, they, don't, they don't want to take. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nick Letty is a very good defenseman, and I think that you you'd mentioned it during during the summer. Yeah. But the problem is, is that the Jets can't afford to take Nick Letty back. They but, want yeah. yeah, they want somebody on an entry level contract who's a really good young defenseman like Dobson. And if that's if 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 the Islanders are not willing to pay that price, then I think Kevin Chevalier Kevin Chevalier Dayoff will say, yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's not ridiculous at all. It's not a ridiculous price at all. Um, and I mean, you're talking about the second overall pick. You're talking about a guy who could win some Maurice Richard trophies in his lifetime. You're talking about, you know, and it started all like great guns this year. I mean, he's. I mean, yeah. uh, earlier this week he was tied with McDavid for the NHL scoring lead. So that gives yeah. if they're if they're truly shopping him, that gives Shevel Day off a lot more leverage to uh, to exact yeah. a a return. Now, um, Pierre Lebrun just reported, and this is going to be, you know, talk about, I, I think that the, the Arizona Coyotes should definitely invest in a witch doctor to take yeah. whatever spell is yeah. off of because now Nicholas Yarmelson will miss three months with a cracked fibula. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, they're defensively and goaltending, they keep getting injured. If it's not Ranta, it's Kemper. If it's not Ekman Larson, now it's Yarmulson. They lose these key players. They lost Schmaltz last year. They lost Devorah. They keep getting injuries, and they keep staying in the race. And I think Tockett, I know Russ said on the weekend, he thinks Tockett should be a candidate for the Jack Adams if they stay in the race. Yeah. They just keep getting injured. I don't know what it is. There were people last year that thought that about Taka. I mean, for considering what he did, I mean, he, he really, I mean, you know, doesn't make the playoffs, but man, keeps that keeps that team competitive and and gets them 
rebounds, I mean, gets them back in the race after they were so far out of it, you know, early on. Yeah, Taka's done an amazing job there, you know. Um, you know, Taka, it's funny, like two former line mates, Taka and Brindamore, are like both doing incredible jobs in, in their situations that they're in right now. Um, I, I think Taka, Taka definitely deserves I mean, there's another guy who got hurt too. Wasn't there another defenseman that got hurt for them yesterday? I'm trying to remember who. I'm trying to. I was looking and trying to look it up as we were talking here. But I thought I thought I heard somebody else got hurt last night in the game. I, I think no. I think that was Yarmolson. Okay, I, was. I don't know if anybody else got hurt, but that that's enough. Let's just say that because oh, yeah, no, he's a huge player. He's a really important player. Um, and there's no question about that. The um, the, the other thing that's really strange about this year, that and this is what I'll leave on, is the is the 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 variance in games played by teams. Like we're really it's, it's more so than ever before. It feels like there's just there's there's so many. It's all over the place. I mean, really, just like so many teams this year with um, you know, I mean, obviously for the for the you know Hawks and Flyers who started over in Europe, they're still at like three games, but there's other teams that you know what are the Leafs at now? Eight? Six, no, they're at six. Or three, three, two, and one. Okay, yeah, there's there are some teams at seven. Um, it's just, I mean, obviously that's gonna that's gonna all balance out. But you know, the Hawks are a team that I really really was high on, and, and you know they they were still winless at this point. Mm. Um, you know, and I know you guys weren't as high on them as for sure, but I still think it's hard. It's so hard to get going when you're in a situation where you're playing so few games. I mean, they are really they're o two and one at this point. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, there's only, only three games played in the wild who didn't go to Europe and only played four games. There's certain, there's some very strange things that are happening. Yeah. I, it's very, very imbalanced. I, I don't know what's yeah. going on. Um, just one last, one last yeah. thing here. Um, uh, Jimmy Devolano, former wings general manager is going into the hospital today yeah. to undergo brain surgery. Oh, man. So I wanted to give uh, our best thoughts to him. I bumped into him a number of times at Marley's games yeah. and Leaf games. Uh, really nice gentleman uh, who I've just talked to off and on just to say hello, but um, you know, sort of a legend in the, in the hockey, in hockey circles. So we wish him the best. Super classy guy for sure. That's that. Yeah. That really, really hope for the best with him there. There's no ways about it. Um, all right, so we have some games. I think there are some games this afternoon at one o'clock. Um, yeah, I know there's a there's a Monday there's an afternoon game here in Buffalo, Dallas, in the Sabers. Yeah, and um, okay, is that the only one today in the afternoon? Uh, I'll look, but I that's the only one that popped up in the top in my head here. But here um, you, I know the Wild and the Sens are playing. The Devils and Panthers are playing. Uh, uh, Ducks Bruins at one. Blues Islanders at one. This is a whole full slate of games at one today. Well, um, that's smart. You know, it's smart. Yeah, it's Columbus Day down here. Thanksgiving up there. Although Columbus Day is not a holiday that our kids have off. Really? Some it's not. I don't know if it's like a politically correct thing. Or yeah, something, I would but say it's probably because that that mean European came to colonize us. Um, uh, you know the the uh, the the native. Yeah. So, so how do we honor him? Maybe because we don't have anything to start. Um, and then tonight, tonight's a, there's a really good one on slate tonight. And it's a, I mean, basically you have one, three, five, and eight. I mean, you can't beat this if you're a hockey fan. You got four games plus the battle of the all-time Canadians versus the all-time. Vegas Golden Knights sometime this afternoon, probably around three. Um, but yeah, you've got, so I mean, you can watch, I mean, th four quality games. You start with what would be the best game at one o'clock? Maybe the Blues and Islanders, I would say. Maybe, I don't know, Star Sabres. No, Blues and Islanders. Then you go to Stars and Sabres. The uh, then you go to Sabres. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to the Avalanche and Caps. That's a really strong game, obviously. Potential, you know, Stanley Cup match for some people. They've put to there. 
and you end up with the Oilers and Blackhawks too, which which is always an interesting game. Let's remember the Oilers and Blackhawks have a history of playing some fascinating games, high scoring, crazy games. Um, this is what like this is this is this is the team that that the gun that Sam Sam Gagne got like what eight points against that one time or whatever it was, something crazy. Yeah, Blackhawks when he was an Oiler. The Blackhawks and Oilers always play bizarre games, um, and this was a this is a good spot for the Blackhawks maybe to get out of this thing. The Oilers are you know due to fall at some point. The Blackhawks are at home. I think this is their home opener maybe even. So anyway, I think this yeah I think this might be their home opener. Anyway, there you have it. Um, remember guys, we uh we we're, we're here all afternoon and uh, check back on Hockey Buzz. Remember without the buzz, it is just hockey. We will talk to you tomorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.